Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. If you remember, last time we went through two chapters, actually in one Sunday. If you remember, it was a marathon reading, but it was kind of hard to break it up in one narrative. If you remember Festus, the new Roman provincial governor, he was facing the Jewish leaders who were trying to assassinate Paul. Paul defended himself, if you remember. I didn't break any laws, neither Jewish laws nor Roman laws. They're lying. And and then remember, he finally, he exercised his right as a Roman citizen, saying, I appeal to Caesar, which required that he be tried in court in Rome, not in Jerusalem. And so Festus says, okay, I'll send you to Caesar, but i got to send a note along with you telling him what you're charged with. Because right now, I don't know what to put. The Jews say you're a bad guy, but I keep questioning you. I don't really find any reason to charge you at all. So he brings in King Agrippa to listen to the story. Maybe he can give him some insight into what they should charge Paul with. And those of our visitors this morning, welcome. We've been in a long study in the book of Acts, and we've gone from chapter 1 all the way now to chapter 27. So the setting is Paul has been arrested because the Jews were upset that he keeps preaching Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And so they make up charges against him to try to have him killed, to get, just to get rid of him. King Agrippa also doesn't find anything wrong with Paul. Paul actually tries to convert King Agrippa, which is not funny, but I just, I love that he did that. Isn't that what Paul's goal was from the beginning when God ordained him? He said, you will appear before kings in my name. And not just a small king like King Agrippa, but all the way to Caesar and to Rome. And Paul, when he's talking to Agrippa, he tells him about his testimony. Testimony being, how did you go from being a wicked person to a Jesus follower? Right? All people who are Christians, you should have a testimony. If you say, well, I've just been a Christian since I was born. Well, God bless you. God saved you so young that you can't remember. Amen. But for most of us, that's not how it works. In fact, maybe your sins grieve you even today. Like they did Paul. He says, I tried to kill the bride of Christ. The church being the bride of Christ. He presents the gospel to him. He tells him about his testimony that, you know, I used to be a Pharisee and I tried to put this Christianity, I tried to kill it before it even got going. And God himself appeared to me 
and told me that I was going to be his servant. This is chapter 26, verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Do you hear what the gospel message was that Paul preached? It's the same message that we should preach. Men and women, boys and girls should repent and turn to God. And after doing so, listen, quote, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. This is not a discussion of faith versus works. This is a discussion of faith works. You understand? If, you, if you've repented, well, why do you look like you haven't? Perform deeds in keeping with repentance. This is Paul's message. You should repent, turn to God, and then do good. Stop doing evil. Forsake your sins. Go back, look at 27, verse 20, of chapter 26. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. Paul says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. I mean, in a way, Paul is saying, I wish all of y'all had the freedom and the joy and the love that I have. Yeah, I don't want y'all to be a prisoner, but other, other than that, if you were like me, you'd be doing really well. As God, God as your Father, Jesus as your Savior... Verse 30, the king rose, the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. When they had withdrawn, they said to each other, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So we're not sure exactly why Paul appealed to Caesar. Did God tell him to do so? Did, was he just trying to avoid being killed by the Jews at some trial in Jerusalem? And he said, I, I'm not going to Jerusalem. I appeal to Caesar. We're not sure exactly. But what we're going to see in today's chapter is that God is the one who's in control. Whether we know all the details or not, it's still a fact while we're talking about facts and opinions, it is a fact that God declares the end at the beginning. He knows a thing before it happens because He purposes what happens. How can He know exactly what's going to happen? Because He's making it happen.
This is a very deep theology. It's not easily received. And in some cases, not very intellectually satisfying. At least not for me. That horrible thing that happened is tied to God's providence and sovereignty? How? Oh, that boggles the mind. Gives me a headache sometimes thinking about that. But most of the time, it's, it's a, a help to me in times of trouble that I say, this is not new for God. This is not new. And He's promised never to leave me or forsake me. Those are two truths that should help you in times of trouble. Well, let's read today's chapter, chapter 27. Exciting chapter. So they've decided to, they're not going to try him. They're going to send him to Rome. <clears throat> Verse 1 of chapter 27. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lazia. Let's stop there for a second. So they're making their way from Jerusalem west. And what they did, instead of just sailing straight across the Mediterranean to Rome, they are in, it seems like a smaller ship initially. Um, Some people think maybe carrying grain or something like that from Egypt up to the Roman Empire. They go from Jerusalem up to Sidon and up that way, and and then across the bottom of Greece, or I guess it would be modern-day Turkey. at at the beginning of this journey. And they arrive at a place called Fair Havens. One commentator said this place did not have a particularly good harbor. It wasn't a fair harbor in wintertime. This name was probably given to it by the Chamber of Commerce. Fair Havens. (laughs) So... Here's the issue, verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. 
And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both the southwest and the northwest, and spend the winter there. So the idea is it's almost winter, and the seas were really difficult in winter, and most sea travel would just stop and wait until the seasons change because it's way too dangerous. Paul says, seeing that the fast was already over, speaking of the Day of Atonement fast probably, and also historians think this happened at the end of AD 59. 59, so that's when all this is happening. Paul says, it's about to be winter. This is dangerous. We need to wait. I perceive. Now, he perceived, is this a, a prophecy? I, it doesn't seem like it. it did, I mean, we know later that at this point, Paul has already been shipwrecked three other times. So he definitely has experience and probably experienced people being stubborn and trying to sail even in bad conditions. And he's like, I perceive this is going to end poorly. It doesn't seem like a prophecy, even though we'll see that it, it comes to pass. But it might be, maybe God was influencing him. But also, right, the, the centurion, like the pilot, it's his ship and all the cargo on it is his. He's not going to make a risky choice. Like he's got a lot more invested in this than Paul does, right? And so the centurion's thinking, I don't know, the pilots and the sailors, they, they think we're good to go. Verse 12, or no, verse uh, yeah, verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. So apparently they took some sort of vote. The majority of them said, yeah, let's, let's try to make it to Phoenix. And it's really not that far. This, the place they are now, also it, um, commentators think was kind of a small town. And the sailors are like, I don't want to spend the whole winter there. Let's go to Phoenix. It's going to be a lot better place to spend the winter. I'm not sure exactly, but but it's, it's only 40 miles west of where they currently are. So they just need to get in the ship and go 40 miles west and they'll be there. It's not that, not that far away. Um... And the, the Phoenix seems to have a better harbor also. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighted anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. And that's all they would need to do. It's only 40 miles. Just hug the coastline until you get there. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kada, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. 
we're talking about the little ship, the little boat that would be behind a big ship that you could you know you could anchor the boat offshore and then take the small boat in that boat the little boat was they needed to pull it into the big boat because it's the waves are too rough that little boat's going to get destroyed so they managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat after hoisting it up they used supports to undergird the ship so this is like tying ropes underneath the ship you know if you've got a wooden ship made up of a bunch of planks they're concerned that the ship is going to break apart in heavy waves and they would tie ropes around the front and the back and underneath and just try to cinch everything tight um Fearing that they would run aground on the um, Syrtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Jettison means throw it overboard. Hoping the ship will be lighter and it will ride up higher in the water. Um, verse 19, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Paul said, I perceive this is going to end poorly. It, it I mean, it seems like they're in some sort of a hurricane system. Fourteen days. No, I mean, it's, it's, not diff, it's not easy to sail a ship with no sun or stars or moon. How are you going to know where you're going? And you'll see they end up in a, off an island in Malta, so where they were trying to go was 40 miles directly west. They ended up landing on an island almost 700 miles from there. This storm completely took them off course. They're just floating in the water going wherever the storm is going to take them. They have, quote, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Also, we didn't mention this. Luke is with them. Right? He's the writer of this book, and he keeps saying, we, 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 us, us, us. So we've got Aristarchus, Paul, Luke, the centurion, other prisoners. And Paul's given some freedom, right? Because he's actually not guilty. He's going for trial. The other prisoners on there probably have already been condemned and are going to be killed in Rome. And so Paul's given some freedom that the others are not given. Um, verse 21, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. 
And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who you sail with. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. This is interesting. Paul's like, I told you. This is a bad idea. You should have listened to me. But you know what's been happening behind the scenes? Paul has been praying for them. Right? A messenger from God told him, God has granted you all those who you sail with. Like Paul's been praying, don't let me die in this ship. I told them it was a bad idea. Don't let me die in this ship. And God says, don't worry, it's impossible. You have an appointment with Caesar. Not an appointment that the centurion is going to carry out. It's godly, a godly appointment, a divine appointment. It cannot be missed. It will not be missed. Now let's think about this for a second. How can God promise that? How can he promise Paul, don't worry, no one will die? There there will be no sharks in the water. There's nothing dangerous. No one will get impaled by a piece of wood or something. How can God make these claims? How can he promise in the middle of a hurricane that one group of people, all of them are going to survive primarily because one of them has a divine appointment in Rome? How can he promise that? Isaiah 46, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he and to the gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me an equal? And compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god and they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you sinners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Quote, listen, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel... My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, of man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. God is upset in this chapter because they're 
There always seems to be some sort of a battle between the idols of the nations and God. And he says, this is idiocy. They are, it's a statue. I'm God. I declare things before they even exist. Is that God still alive right now? If you've ever read A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God, I love it. Especially the first few chapters. He says, who's in charge of the affairs of this world? God or the devil? And it's the way he presents it. Common sense says, yes, that is right. But beyond common sense, the word of God affirms it, declares it. No one is like God. Who? Who's like God? How can he tell Paul, don't worry, you'll make it to Rome. In the middle of a hurricane, they've already thrown everything off the ship. They have no hope to survive. It seems like they have not been eating either. Maybe they're seasick, I don't know. Since they had been without food for a long time. Verse 27. After Paul tells them, he tells them two times. Take heart. You should have listened to me, but you didn't. But that's okay. Take heart now. The ship, it's gone. But we're all going to survive. God promised me. I believe Him. Verse 25. Take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And it seems like verse 26, He's not told exactly which island it is. We're going to hit an island. Some island. Verse 27. When the Fourteenth night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. So now in the world, we're in between Greece and Italy. Like modern, in between modern day Croatia and Italy. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship um, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow... Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So this is interesting. The sailors decide they're going to make a break for it. They, the sailors, not, not the passengers, we'll see later there are hundreds of people on this ship. I don't know how big this little boat is, but... The sailors are going to make a break for it. They say, yeah, we got to let down the anchor over there. Like, come on, guys, let's go. (laughs) They're lowering down the boat. 
And Paul says, listen, he's been promised by the sovereignty of God, but it doesn't make him inactive. This is what I wanted to bring up. God is sovereign, but he's using things all the time. That's what he does. When he wants it to rain, he causes hot sunshine to beat on the water and evaporate the seas and bring in fronts to collide and then the water comes. It's means. It's a weather system as the means to bring the rain. Why couldn't he just have it spring up from the ground? He could. He does. Haven't you heard of a spring? But normally he uses clouds and rain. Paul's not inactive. He's not inactive. He springs into action. If the sailors leave the ship, Centurion, we're all dead. Nobody knows how to handle this ship. We need them here or else hundreds of people are going to die. The centurion orders the soldiers to cut the ropes away from that small boat. So they cut the ropes away. That boat quickly drifts away from the big boat. Now everybody's stuck together, as it should be. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you, take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So they ate the food they had, and whatever was left, they threw it overboard. They're still trying to make the ship as light as possible. And now we come to the shipwreck. When, now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. (coughs) Well, what God told Paul was going to happen did happen. And there are lots of things that happen in order for that to happen. I I was reading that uh, uh, if they hadn't 
gone aground where they did, they would have been wandering around in the ocean for many, many days with no food. They wouldn't have hit another island for a while. They would be right in the middle of the Mediterranean, west of Italy, west of Sicily, without any sail or tackle or any small boat or any food. They had thrown it all overboard. And the soldiers, they, you know, as a Roman soldier, if you let a prisoner escape, especially a convicted person, the penalty was that you get whatever the prisoner was supposed to get. So these soldiers are like, we need to kill these prisoners. They're going to escape, and it's going to be on us, including Paul. They're going to kill everyone. The prisoners and the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. Why does he care? This centurion has been kind to Paul again and again. Is he a believer? Is he seeing Paul's faith in action? While everyone is abandoning all hope of being saved, Paul is saying, Take heart. God promised me we're all going to make it. He gives thanks for the food. Some have argued that that was like a Lord's Supper. I don't believe so. Maybe. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. It, it, it sounds like it sounds like a good thought, but I don't think that's what they were doing. The providence of God. The providence of God who is with Paul on the road to Damascus. Who's been with Paul in all these various things where he's been beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. Riots have happened. Right? He had to be rescued by a bunch of soldiers. They were going to just tear him to pieces. Multiple times in this account of Paul's ministry, the providence of God is behind it all. Right? When you think, there's no way Paul's getting out of this one. No, he does. There's no way you're going to survive this one. No, he does. Well, how is it? Why? Is he just lucky? And it seems like the answer is that he has a divine appointment in Rome. I'm not saying all the time in between wasn't a divine appointment, too. But why, when they stoned him and left him for dead, why didn't he die? Well, God wasn't done. In fact, God said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Right when Paul was converted. Well, we're almost done. The next one will probably be the end of our study of Acts. It's been encouragement to me. I hope it's been to you too. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this book. 
We thank you that we can learn so much about the early life of the church, the way that you ministered to the nations. Father, for even very specific details about our brother Paul and Luke and Epaphras and Timothy and Aristarchus and Silas and John Mark and all the various people. You were with them. You called them to be your children. You sent them to various places. The gospel spread all over the earth and passed on to the next generation and the next generation down to where we heard the gospel in our country. Oh Lord, you've been very good to us and kind. You've demonstrated your love. Father, we pray that we would perform works in keeping with repentance and demonstrate our faith and our love. Would you be with us this week? Help us. Please, Lord, help us to take heart and cling tightly to the promises of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.